Boom! Hey everybody, this is Dr. Alan Trites with Great Health is Not Fit to Be a Mission Impossible. And I think it's time to talk about uh, blood sugar, insulin levels, diabetes, uh, and the essential understanding or understanding diabetes from a alternative health perspective as to what has been taught to you. You should um, exercise more, you should eat healthy, you should sleep better, um, possibly lose some weight, and follow the American pyramid for food, or what if your kid's in school, or what if you have an elderly parent that's at a, a, not necessarily a nursing home, but um, maybe they're in assisted living, or what, you know, you pick up something to eat, what, what's, what's really in it? So we're going to start here, and I'm going to have a several-part series about this because eight out of the top ten causes of death have something to do with blood sugar. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? So if we're talking about longevity and to make sure that you can stay around as long as you can, that you can be productive as long as you can, that you can have the energy that you need to have, that you can have the brain function you need to have, um, every single person that walks in my office gets tested for blood sugar. And we have a lot of conditions that have blood sugar issues. So I want to help you understand diabetes and blood sugar, what's called dysglycemia, from a new perspective of really what the research is out there. So... What if everything you were taught and you believed about diabetes and blood sugar was taught wrong or incomplete for your information? You're told that type 2 diabetes is a progressive condition that gets worse over time and not better. Well, that's not the research says. And that the longer you have the disease, the more problems you'll have and you'll develop the need for more medications. Well, that's true if you don't do anything about it. You're also told that when someone is diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, they've lost half of their ability to make insulin and then as this continues over time the organ that makes insulin known as the pancreas will burn out which then will turn into insulin injections you're also told that people who have both type 1 and type 2 diabetes you will have complications you could have blindness you could have kidney disease you might um, have gangrene where you lose fingers and toes and even start up the legs Definitely heart disease, stroke, kidney failure, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia. Um, we could go on with this. Again, eight out of the ten leaving causes of death. And the best that we can do to slow the progression of these diseases is with medication and or insulin. That's it. So, what have I heard people have been told? Diabetes is genetic. My parents have it, so therefore I'm going to have it. Well, that... Type 2 diabetes is only for those who are overweight or lazy and they just eat junk food all the time. That's not true either. And that you brought this on yourself because you have a lazy approach to, to health and that you've been sitting on the couch too much. You're also told that medication and insulin are necessary to help those with diabetes control their blood sugar. Well, that's not true either. And that using diet therapy and physical activity and lifestyle modification is helpful. But it probably won't make an impact on your blood sugar control. Well, that's not true either. Or that you have diabetes of any type and you'll be on medication the rest of your life. That's not true. <laughs> so when a person goes to their doctor and they find that they have an elevated blood sugar, they're either told they're diabetic or pre-diabetic, and their doctor's telling them, uh, just what I told you before, and we, we have patients come in all the time. You know, I, I've been told I have to be all these for the rest of my life, and I, I'm not sure I want to do it. 
and I'm not sure that that this is the best approach for me. And, and you know, or that my, my doctor was kind enough to say, hey, uh, you know, try out, do some things, maybe change your diet, your exercise, whatever is going on, and see if we can get these numbers down, and then I won't prescribe them, which is great. And that's what I want to see. You need to be in my office. This is where we need to go. And um, But but to be on drugs for the rest of your life, especially for type 2 diabetes, is, is really bad information. Um I think learning and what we're going to go through is a great tool for anyone who has blood sugar issues. Even if you're on uh, type 1 diabetics and on insulin, there are, there are ways to help mitigate and manage that. Because with the right information in your hands, you can take the right steps. And a lot of these conditions, especially type 2, you can reverse. And we've seen quite a few cases of type 1 diabetes where the requirement for insulin has gone down dramatically. Well, if you haven't followed the cost of insulin over the past two years, and even, let's say, six years ago before that, it gets a little costly. And not all the time is it uh, available. <laughs> or sometimes you're, um, if, if, you're, if you follow or you have anybody that's a, a type 1 diabetic, not only, sometimes they don't get the same insulin. It doesn't have the same response to them. Uh, this is this brand, this one, that brand, and then they take it and it's not working. So having the right insulin with them to be able to make the decisions and calculations and everything they need to have based on what their life is going through and, and how to do that. It can be very, very complicated. But when they have one that's working for them, it makes it a little less complicated. So um, I want you to have the right information. I think our medical system is unfortunately based on just treating numbers and symptoms. Um, there's not getting to a root cause. There's not getting to what happened. There's not getting to what strategies can I do in my life and my health to make a difference and so when you're treating the, the symptoms and number, you're really not going to get much of a result. I mean, it's to me, that's a definition of insanity. You're doing the same thing again and again, and you're expecting a result. Because uh, for this, few drugs can you ever really cure this condition. They are simply biochemical Band-Aids that, when you take insulin, will bring down um, blood sugar mostly. But there are other factors that are going into it. And you can feel better when you take these things. So I, I, I did have... Um, an unregulated type 2 diabetic, and by the way, normally when seeing we're going to get that to a, a minute, I, I want them below 5.4, but you know, 5.7 to um, 6.2 is pre-diabetic, and then above that you're getting into the diabetes side of things, and she was like 14.8, pretty high. And working with her for a year, we were able to bring it down, and she's under 6. Um, and, and, and the up uptick on that because of what was going on this is like you're not conservative case you're kind of beyond that i mean you don't even qualify to fly a plane or drive a bus there's all kinds of things that are going on here so we've got to use this other resource here called the medical world to help get this down while we're doing other things and other lifestyle modifications because we have to get to what caused this um sure you have a a grandfather that has it but you know genetics are not not all this so we have to go in and address the underlying issue. And in many cases, these underlying issues are crippling to your physiology and they lead to side effects. Or you can have a, the disease actually progresses. So not understanding this as a doctor, and this is, I mean, I can get on a soapbox. I got a whole bunch of soapboxes we can get on and talk about. And, and not helping that patient is, to me, very dangerous because the inadequate information leads to inadequate treatments and ineffective treatments. And a lot of very smart, well-respected doctors, dietitians, and health practitioners in the world are using these methods. They're not, they're not reversing. They're not slowing it down. 
they're making a number difference. Do they extend your life? Yes. Um, for how long? Two or three years? Well, two or three years is very important, but there are so many other things that can enhance it by 10, 15, 20 years. Why aren't we doing that? Uh, for the most part, because it doesn't give anybody any money. Um, I mean, you, if you t- open turn on the TV for one second in the United States, it, it's about money. And, and eh, anyway, it's, I'm not going to get political on this, but understand that there is a lot of politics that goes into your health. So I want to teach you how to regain control of your blood sugar. I want you to break free from the mental stress that you might have associated with diabetes. I want to get you the power back so you can make the best decisions and take the best actions for your health. I'm Dr. Alan Trites. I'm a functional medicine doctor. Um, I have backgrounds in pathology, um, the uh, clinical clinical laboratory scientists. I've had thousands of patients with diabetes. I have tons of case studies of, you know, just like this young lady who has very, very high on A1C, case studies after case studies of um, children and then adults on type 1 diabetes, and we're seeing their insulin numbers, the amount of insulin, because now everything goes on like Bluetooth and gets recorded, which is great. So we get to see, hey, this is happening here, or, you know, gee whiz, every time you eat beef <laughs> from this company, or you eat an apple, you're, for whatever reason, your blood sugar is just going off. We know, we know at that point is there's a food sensitivity or, or an inflammation, and inflammation is something we're going to talk about later. So we can start to identify if they're taking a food journal. Hey, these things are spiking on you. For whatever reason, your body's not handling. Let's just get those for a and see if we can't stabilize and be better with your insulin numbers. So anyway, that's my background. I've been working with diabetes for a very, very, very long time. Um, I mean, just started working on our first um, case of diabetes really physically drawing blood and looking at everything um, about 25 years ago. So we've we've seen quite a few because this is the number one treatable condition in the United States. It's the number one physical condition in the United States. And it it costs so much to our our bottom dollar. So I do want to discuss what the American Diabetes Association um, recommends as well as the current research. And get into the best diet and lifestyle approach to help control your blood sugar. And, and we're going to lay out a plan, but when you're in the office, it's a phase-by-phase plan. Hey, this is what I want you to do first. This is what I want you to do second. This is what we're going to do. And we're going to monitor these things along the way. And some people need to have medical interaction, and we can decide, um, hopefully together, with the, um, a good medical person. So they, let's say they're an the endocrinologist. Hey, we get this A1C down uh, below this. Is it okay if we go and see what happens if they're not taking a medication? Yes, no. Um, let them make. I, I let them make that choice. But if we have an A1C that's at let's say 5.4 and they're still on a um, medication, we start scratching our head and going, "Are you, are you sure?" Let's uh, let's uh, uh, maybe you need a second opinion. That's that's okay. But if, if they're still out there, we we want to make sure everything everything can be done from from both sides. All right. So let's talk about diabetes. And there's really two types. There's actually a third one, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, on this podcast, that's more in the, the uh, dementia, Alzheimer's uh, pathway. But understand that when somebody has blood sugar handling issues, they have a higher risk for Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia. But we're going to talk about the top two, which is uh, type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Now, really what it comes down to, the, the definition of diabetes is you have um, inability to have normal blood sugar or fuel metabolism. So your body breaks down your food into elements, amino acids, fatty acids, sugars, um, and you have an organ that's called a pancreas, where it releases a hormone called insulin. And insulin 
opens a door to allow blood sugar or glucose, otherwise known as it, to get into our cells. And once it's in our cells, it burns sugar to make energy. So think of um, a fireplace and the fuel for that fireplace is a log. All right. And I mean, I had a fireplace growing up as a kid and we had it in like in our basement and this chimney was like 60 foot chimney that went all the way to the top and you had to make sure the flue was open. <laughs> Learned that was a, <laughs> oops, forgot that one time. But um, anyway, so you open it. Well, sometimes we had to hedge and if you've ever burned hedge, there's pows, barks and all kinds of fun stuff that can come off it. But sometimes that's all you got or when you're cutting trees, that's all that's there in the deadwood or whatever. Anyway, we had this screen door that would close in front of it. So when it would pop and burst, you know, we might get a couple of embers come through, but it wasn't that much. So that's kind of what insulin does. It takes these logs and throws them into the fire. The fire place be in your cell, and the cell is going to burn this log. That's how you get energy. Now, what we want to see was like normal glucose in the body. We want to see like 85 to 99 units um, per in there. But if it's in insulin, when we have an efficient insulin pancreas um, blood test, we're looking at like less than five. But the average American is like 15 or 16, which is considered normal, but it has no research that's showing that, it, that it's there. The other thing that so many of these doctors and endocrinologists and um, even healthcare doctors and dietitians, and I'm, I'm not tr trying to call everybody out, it's just that the way that we're looking at things is it's insanity. We're, we're not changing what we're doing. So I want, even if you're one of those people and you're listening to this, ask me, tell me, I'll, I'll, I'll help you because I can't help everyone. I want, I want to help you get there. So understand the liver stores, stores blood sugar as well. It's not just uh, hanging out in your bloodstream. It, the liver stores it and it can release it when the sugar drops too low, which is great. And this particular form of sugar is called glycogen. And there, there are quite a few hormones that, that, that do this. There will be no quiz, and I'm not going to go through that. So, again, think of insulin as it unlocks that, that barrier that's going into the fireplace, and it throws the glucose slash log into there. And so this glucose slash log is burned. That is the energy. That's called cellular energy, and this thing is called ATP. When the amount of sugar in our blood stream gets too high, then it causes damage to our blood vessels. So that's how high blood sugar can create cardiovascular disease and heart attacks and stroke and dementia and Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. When it gets too high, these blood sugars then bind to the red blood cells and that's called glycation. Glycation is agonists. They're called age-derived end products. So ages. And then they can go into our organs and tissues because they have blood vessels to go through there and they can damage them as well. So that's how you can get to eye problems and kidney problems and skin problems and teeth problems, all associated with diabetes. But, you know, is sugar bad? I mean, we should stay away from it. Well, sugar isn't bad unless your blood sugar is too high. So that's why you have to be tested. Um, so again, it's not a bad molecule and you have it in your cells and your body makes energy out of it. The problem comes when we have too much. Uh, or the body can't manage it anymore. So we have these other things that are called insulin resistance and, and diabetes and metabolic syndrome that come along with it. So you could be just humming along and all of a sudden you hit 30 and something's stuck or you hit 40 and something's not working. Or, you know, you, I, I'm still working out and exercise and eating the same way and all of a sudden I gained 10 pounds this year. Does that sound like anybody? Uh, call our office. Let's get started. So I asked this question, you know, let's let's say somebody, this is such a, a simple thing, you know, give a kid a candy bar and watch him go around and around for a minute, but give an adult a candy bar and they just like, whatever. <laughs> there's there's a difference, in, in again, in weight and, and how much calories and how the sugar goes in. But um, 
how much sugar is in a candy bar. So there's usually like 250 calories in there and quite a bit of it uh, is a lot. And, and what they measure the, the sugar is by is like 30 grams of sugar. That's like your daily dose. So how much sugar in that will actually get into the bloodstream? Ah, all right. Um, maybe five to 10 grams is really what gets resorbed, absorbed, but it really gets absorbed fast. So you, you've changed something. So I put this this log into my fire and you know it can only burn it so fast. So if you've ever put logs on top of a fire, you get these big logs and you throw them onto the fire and maybe you have an open fire pit, it takes a minute for those logs to light on fire. But then there's this big bonfire that comes along. I mean everybody's probably seen that before. Now when you have candy now we have this rapid absorption of sugar because of the way that the sugar is in that candy versus something that's, uh, let's say, in fruit, and it's combined to f uh, fiber. It's a different absorption rate. So if I have this, I put now I just put all these logs in the fire, and then I immediately run around it with a can of gasoline. What happens? Boom! Now we get this really quick, massive fire, um, and and. You know, somebody's probably going to call the fire department when I do something like that. But that's really what's happening is this massive fire then comes out. Okay, that's how you, you've seen a little kid. Now they have this massive amount of energy. It's just growing. But what your body's doing is, what the hell's going on? So it starts throwing out as much insulin as it possibly can because all the sugar is out here. And it, it, it pushes it into the cell. And then you have... Um, the liver trying to offset it and go, what are we supposed to do? There's a fire. Do we put it in water? Do we put it out? Do we let the fire burn out? What are we going to do? Um, and then when you do that again and again and again, you eat these things. So that's why, I mean, why diabetes is considered a, a, a disease of the lazy. It's the, it's, it's not because there are other factors that go into it. But when somebody goes out and has, let's say junk food, or like, I'm just going to have a little piece of candy before I go to bed every night these little things that go in there oh, I, i'm gonna have coffee but like you know let's screw it let's get the frappuccino and it has 800 calories in it what that does is just overloads the the insulin system it's called wear and tear and the insulin has to be put out and, and this fire comes on and it has to be put out well eventually um the, the fire can't be put out and it can't push sugar anywhere and insulin is so stressed out that it's now bind to something usually cortisol and then the blood sugar then stays higher than it should because it can't be put in the cell. That's it's called hyperglycemia, otherwise known as diabetes. And then the insulin, which is in the normal number, will start rising, but it's not taking the blood sugar down. That's called insulin resistance. And what happens is you, you start gaining weight. That's usually the first thing. So what happens, it, it, that's the second thing that happens, is you're starting to put sugar into places that your body shouldn't have, like your arteries. It can go into your kidneys, your eyes, your nerves, and you start seeing the side effects. You can have neurological issues. You can, my, my vision isn't as good as it used to be. Um, I, I, I can't seem to absorb water. I'm going to the bathroom all through the night. Um, well, you start having uh, what's called blood lipid problems. The LDL starts coming up, which is considered the bad cholesterol because you're inflamed. And triglycerides start coming up. And then you get to cardiovascular disease and then brain issues. And brain fog is one of the big things because the principal fuel for brain is sugar, known as glucose in the blood. So now it's having a problem managing energy. So when you have brain fog, you're usually having a blood sugar problem. You need to be checked out. Call our office. So... In type 1 diabetes, 
the part of the pancreas which makes insulin is either damaged or it's just, just completely destroyed. And most of the time it's an autoimmune issue that happens. But the leading cause now of type 1 diabetes is cow's milk. I'm going to say that again. The leading causes, cause of type 1 diabetes in children is cow's milk. It's a reaction. It's an immune reaction that goes to it, and then it kills the pancreas. So um, let's not do that. I get, I get there's only 10% of all diabetes cases are type 1 diabetes, um, so it's not a big one. But if, if if you don't want that for your child, don't drink cow's milk. It's made for a small animal to gain a whole lot of weight with a low IQ. Um don't do that. And 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 if um, this is what's coming to us, well, my pediatrician said we have to expose them to these things. Okay, occasionally expose them because it's it's hard to go on and to try to avoid everything. I got it. But given that two of them every day is exposure, um, well, you know, my my response to that is well, they're going to be exposed to cigarette smoke too. They really are. So let's have them smoke every day so they have massive exposure every single day so they they don't they don't have a problem with it. Yeah, come on, that's asinine. You know that. All right. So that off that soapbox, move into the next part. There's a, another characteristic that goes with uh, type one and type two diabetes. It's called latent autoimmune diabetes of of, of adulthood. And this is a, the immune system is actually tr- destroying the insulin or what's called pancreatic cells that allow insulin um, that, where insulin is made. So it usually happens later in life. So this is where an adult. Um, I think Jay Cutler would have been one of them if you have ever heard of that name. Is a, um, a football player. Uh, for the Broncos and the Bears, I believe. Um, I think he was like 27, started getting dizzy, and so he, he had these issues. He had a virus that came in, uh, if, I, if I'm if i following that right. But these these things happen where people are 19, 20, in their 20s, and they, they get diabetes. Uh, generally, it's an immune issue. Usually, it's a virus, and the immune system starts to attack the virus, which happens to make it close to pancreas, and it says, oh, it's close enough, let's kill it. That's just what the immune system does. So there are other ways to do it other than cow's milk. So... Uh, type 1 is the most common and life-threatening um, issue, and, and it, it's, a, it's a chronic illness of childhood. There are a million and a half children in the United States, and there are 10 million people worldwide. They're diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Most of them, again, are children. Uh, and again, we get the, what's called latent autoimmune diabetes of adulthood, or LADA. So traditionally, you give them insulin, and you'd be very, 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 very precise with the amount of carbohydrates, which is foods that make sugar. So like your breads and your pastas um, and your fruits, those are all considered carbohydrates. Um, so typically, 45 to 50% of their calories, type 1 diabetes, is supposed to become from carbohydrates. The problem is you have a blood sugar carbohydrate issue. And then when you um, when you begin to replace back the insulin, hence a shot at its core, the problem with type 1 diabetes is they cannot make insulin. That's a problem. So, mostly or almost entirely, they're dependent on insulin to stay alive. The problem with figuring this out is the amount of insulin per carbohydrate meal. So, is this carbohydrate a vegetable? Is this carbohydrate a uh, soft drink? Is this carbohydrate a candy bar? Is this carbohydrate a donut? Is this carbohydrate a waffle? Is this carbohydrate, um, let's say, potato chips? You can see that there's a lot of different ways, and, and all the different combinations of foods that go in there, the body looks at it in a different way. So when these 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 kids, or when you eat a large carbohydrate meal, how much insulin does it require? And after a couple hours, I have to keep monitoring this thing, and the, their, their blood sugar could go, again, normal blood sugar is 85 to 90. They could be up to 500, or it could spike up really, really quick, and then they're low, and guess what they have to do? They got to eat a carbohydrate to get their, their low blood sugar up. And so 
it's a very frustrating and they start to get disappointment and, and it disrupts our life. What are we going to do? I can't go out with my friends. I can't do this. I can't do that. And, and we see this so often in the office when somebody comes in. I just don't even know what to eat. I, I try this. Is my insulin? It's this. Uh, frustration at the upteenth. It's because they haven't ever been educated on really what is a, a carbohydrate and how to deal with it. And so what what we help, especially type 1 diabetes, is, is that it's so complicated and it's so dangerous when it goes up and down like that. I mean, they could have a diabetic coma or they can have, um, they get so low they pass out and then they hit their head. And then while we got other issues, even brain bleeds that come along. So what are you supposed to eat? So we really focus on reducing carbohydrates of all types. Um, that's our main approach for type 1 diabetes. And then making sure that all the numbers are falling into play. And then we start introducing very little of what they can have but this is the best way to management for for these cases all right so in type 2 diabetes which is the other 90 percent the pancreas still produces insulin but it's not doing it very well or it's bound to it so this is where it's called insulin resistance essentially my log fireplace which is now has the uh, covers the metal covers that don't allow the embers to pop out is blocked um which is a really good, at least for me, in physiology, the way I learned was diagrams. I would draw something um, while somebody was talking, and then this this Dr. Netter came up with this. He's a great surgeon that was also a great artist, which was how I learned my anatomy. And then he came up with the physiology book, and I was like, yay, because he wrote these pictures, or he drew these pictures, and I could see the picture of how something would go together. Is it perfect? No. But it helped my mind understand, and I could see where, where things going. Well, that's, that's insulin resistance in a, in a nutshell. So type 2 diabetes and pre-diabetics are really insulin resistance. It's in, another analogy would be, hey, somebody's at your door and they're knocking. They're knocking and you don't hear them. Um, and and maybe, maybe it's one of your kids and they have a key, but the key doesn't work. <laughs> and so they knock harder and they shout and they pound on the window. And um, it, it, they're, they're doing this for some time and then you open the door and let them in. This, this is really... Um, an, an option for insulin resistance or with a log we're pounding and pounding and pounding if you've ever seen like a siege where they run up to the the castle wall and they're just pounding and pounding and pounding with a, a big monster log and it finally opens that that's insulin resistance where it should be the blood sugar is too high the insulin grabs the sugar it takes it into the cell it makes energy but there's just so much that's going on uh, too much sugar or too much stress so when cells become resistant to insulin Again, what happens is the blood sugar has to go somewhere. So insulin has another option. Let's store it in your fat cells. So this is how people start to gain weight. Well, and then they try to exercise, but the problem is it's in your fat cells. And the next bout of carbohydrates raises your blood sugar. The insulin can't get into your cells to make energy. So now you're working out and you're extremely tired all the time. I'm just working out and I'm tired and I'm not losing any weight. Well, yeah, because your body is in a really a state of fight or flight. So we have to figure out how to make that insulin take your blood sugar into the cell um, and to be able to start using fat. So there's a way to do it. Now, elevated insulin levels also cause high blood pressure. And any additional stress in the body can lead to insulin levels elevated and high blood pressure. So uh, again, these don't happen overnight. This happens over, over days, sort of like, um, you know, I've got, I've got two neighbors on either side of me. Um, 
And I was just talking to my wife the other day about it. I said, this, this neighbor over here, you know, we, we say hi. They trim their lawn. Uh, our, our fence and their fence, we, everybody has like a shared fence. I don't have to talk to them about anything. You know, I, what's on my side, we take care of. On the other side, they take care of. It, it's just like a high five. We pass in motion, everything else. My other neighbor, uh, her backyard gets mowed once a year. And it's in middle of Texas. Um, no. So when it gets mowed, it's like four or five foot high. Uh, I went and looked um, to see what pictures of her house were when they first bought it about 10 years ago. And it was beautifully landscaped outside. Now, not once in those 10 years that she's bought it has anybody gone out and trimmed a bush. And I'm not exaggerating. Um, until about two weeks ago. I finally, um, she has like a caretaker comes by and checks up on her. Um, and she's... a big it person so i got it mentality is outside the house don't care if it's online something okay so her side of the fence and the brackets that go onto there had massive and i mean massive every single thing had wood rot um whether it was car and it wasn't just that it was carpenter ants termites everything on that side and like and and they'd let these bushes grow up so i'm sure that her house is just uh, ready to fall apart on top of her but I don't want those in my house, and I don't want anything touching. So I've, I've taken everything off. You know, I've replaced the entire fence at this point. But this didn't happen overnight is what I'm trying to say. She didn't stay in her fence, so it started to rot. Uh, we live close enough to a field, and there's tons and tons of ants. Well, there's carpenter ants, fire ants, and if you ever met those, they're, they're jerks. Um, and then we have... Um, on top of that, uh, termites too, that because she's not taking care of things, it's happening. Well, I don't want them on our side, so I, I've replaced this one fence to give a barrier and other things. So anyway, it didn't happen overnight is what my whole point is, and that in 10 years, it, it this is what can happen inside your body. You you don't monitor these elevated insulin levels. You don't monitor your blood sugar. Okay, you know, you're not going to write down everything you're going to eat over the last 10 years, but this is what, what ends up happening. And, and the big picture with this is it slowly damages your cells, organs, and tissues. It leads to serious complications, death, and 8 out of 10 leading causes of death that we spoke before are associated with diabetes. Um, most people, when they come into my office, are like, well, what can we do about this weight around my, my gut, my belly? Um, so we go, okay, well, what's happening? My first indicator is, our in clinician, is what's your insulin doing? And what can we look at it? So... Um, as you start to gain weight, these fat cells start to screening compounds that actually block the action of insulin. They want the food. And so as the blood sugars level come up, your appetite goes up. I got to go eat again. And what do you eat for? What do you reach for? Things that make you feel full quick, usually a carbohydrate or a type of sugar. And so it's this, this, this vicious cycle that gets into that has insulin resistance turn into type 2 diabetes. Uh, stress is another big thing that, that goes along with it, and there are quite a few nutritional deficiencies. So when we're in the office, I'm running through these tests to find out what's the deal. What are we looking at? So let's talk about the 80s or 90s, and I love what's called the Seinfeld effect, which is you go watch the movie Seinfeld, and it was only, hello, Jerry. Um, Newman was really the only overweight character on there, but if you look around, even in the city, they're walking around and all the B-roll type things. There's not a lot of people overweight. So they started to run these studies, 
And there are a lot of differences that have happened between the 80s and 90s and now. So one of the biggest things is environmental pollutants. So if you look at various pesticides, herbicides, organic pollutants, um, there weren't so many in the 80s and 90s. And there really isn't a correlation being, let's say, we'll, we'll put a name on it, Roundup. There's not a correlation between Roundup and diabetes. But when you look at the entirety of these, the changes of what happened to make more food, so the herbicides, pesticides, um, and organic pollutants that came together as a whole, now you can see these trends that come up and you can see this difference in di uh, diabetes. So it really didn't matter if you were overweight or not. Now, if you're obese, you had diabetes sooner. If you're underweight or your normal weight, uh, you got diabetes within 10 years. Yee. So it, it's it's there. So what, what, what we have to do often in our office is we actually have to give a detox program to get this organic stuff out of the body the best we possibly can. Do not hear me as if I said, hey, uh, go do some chelation therapy and pull that out. No, because most people have an autoimmune issue, and I have podcasts that go about that that you can pull it out and you're going to get really, really sick. So if you're overweight with these organic pollutants that are out there, you have a 40 times higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes. If you're normal weight, you still have a 20 times more higher risk. I mean, that's that's just insane. So um, it's there and that, that's everybody in the entirety uh, of the population. So let's talk about some other options for insulin resistant. So the number one cause of insulin resistance, hands down, is inflammation. So we got to be running tests for inflammation, which is LDL, A1C, insulin, um, fructosamine, not fructosamine, sorry, ferritin. Um, those are the big things that are out there. And we know that chronic inflammation interrupts the communication between insulin and its receptor on your cell, leading to insulin resistance. So inflammation, number one, uh, is, is the biggest issue. Now, you can have that via... An immune reaction. Well, we just had two years of a pandemic for immune reactions. What was the leading issue with that? Cardiovascular health. Hmm, interesting. Um, I, I just want to throw that out there because we're, we're seeing that. And what risk factors did you have that tend to, to be associated with death of, of this thing? It would be diabetes. Chronic inflammation is dangerous, and it's a reaction to our life. I mean, we have physical, mental, uh, emotional, nutritional, uh, chemical, structural. I mean, you can have like this, I rolled my ankle and, and you won't, and every day you roll your ankle, but it's going to be chronic inflammation. Well, chronic systemic inflammation clogs insulin receptors, sort of like a clogged drain. Then you don't get the insulin to go what it's supposed to do. That's called insulin resistance. So once your muscles now start to get, because they have receptors too, um, become resistant to insulin, then your blood insulin levels rise above five, uh, which makes us more insulin resistant. Now there's drugs, there's alcohol, there's other things that can happen. We can even develop a tolerance to the hormone insulin. Um, all these different things are these uh, pesticides that desensitize us to hormones and these even, and we're talking about insulin here too. Now, insulin doesn't just take sugar into the cell. It's also a fat storage hormone. So the more elevated your insulin is, you get more fat storage. Now, you'll put fat in the muscles, the liver, and, of course, the fat cells. And eventually, this fat accumulation happens in the liver called a fatty liver disease. So you can have what's If you've ever been told you have non-alcoholic fatty liver syndrome, you have insulin resistance and you're on your way to type 2 diabetes. This is just no ifs, ands, or buts. That's really what it is. So the, this fat accumulation then gets also in the organs and the pancreas uh, as well as muscles. So if you've ever met 
there's a term, it's not medical, but it's just a term, it's called skinny fat. So we have these skinny people come into our office and they, they look thin. And then you put their hands on them to do an examination or you're checking muscles or, you know, maybe they say my my knee hurts or my hip hurts and you, you touch it and it's just fat. There's no muscle there. That is that happening there, fat being accumulation into the tissue. So if you are a skinny fat person and you're like, okay, great, I'm skinny, you, you have risk because your body's actually turning those tissues into something else. We've talked a little bit about detoxification, but the, when the liver is working well, which is your major detoxification organ, as is the kidney, what happens when the liver becomes more efficient is it stores um, fat in the form of triglycerides, fat inside the liver. When it becomes, um, we'll call it clogged or inefficient, these triglycerides start to come up more, and then the liver becomes less able to store sugar safely and be effective with it. So if someone can lower the amount of triglycerides in their liver and have a healthy amount of what's called the glycogen to make sure the blood sugar is all okay, and they can, when they do that, they start to lose weight. And so the big picture is with that, some people do need to lose weight, and some people, they lose weight and nothing happens. So the, again, you have to look at every single case individual. So do we want to be at an ideal weight, whatever that is, and we can calculate that? Sure. But that's not it. So you get to that weight. Again, skinny fat, they're probably at an ideal rate, but there's something definitely going on. So we have to look at something called lean mass. Um, but And we don't want to make sure they're not heavy as in body mass index, but we also make sure they're not a skinny fat. And once they, we can get that, then we know that that person's going to be very efficient with regulating blood sugar. So the trip's not just dropping pounds, but it's really dropping inches all the way around the body. And there was a, a program we used to use very in, in, uh, successfully. It was called Shape Reclaimed because this whole premise was to get the brown fat off of around the uh, tissues. It's very, 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 very restrictive. Um, I think there's some better ways to do it, but that is sometimes we have to do that when somebody just doesn't have another option. Um, because we want the body to have its ability, especially the liver, to store glycogen and have less triglycerides circulating around the body. And as the body becomes more and more resistant to an insulin, which is not good, blood sugar will start to rise and then you get that diabetic range. And then you start to store fat around the liver, pancreas, heart, even the heart, and other organs. And it gets much harder to maintain normal blood sugar levels. There are, in our office, a lot of people that come in and say, you know what, I work out. I work out five days a week. I eat well. I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea how I'm diabetic. Um, that's a totally different patient than I had last week that says, do I really have to give up my Dr. Pepper? <laughs> um, you're diabetic. Um, I, I don't know what else to do. So... Um, Again, what walks in the office, somebody might be eating a very inflammatory diet. Um, we'll call this standard American diet. And then we have, um, my, my wife has a friend, we'll just call her Sarah for now. Uh, and she's a junk food vegan. I'm vegan. We, uh, we went out to eat and she ordered um, the cheese fries, cheese bacon fries. But she said, hold the bacon, hold the bacon because I'm a vegan. Sarah's about... Five foot three, maybe 180 pounds. 
Um, yeah. How long you, how long you been, I'm just calling her Sarah. Her name's not Sarah. How long you been doing that? Six years. Do you feel any better? No, I'm tired all the time. <laughs> it's like, okay. Uh, that's it. We, you know, it's, it, we're at a dinner, so I'm not allowed to be, play doctor. So I just have to sit and look at the floor, um, the rest of the, the, uh, dinner, but I knew what she was doing to herself. And so, you know, she's eating a lot of fried foods, a lot of bad fats, um, and all those things, and she's extremely inflamed. So, um, in the case of Sarah, because she's just literally eating carbohydrates, they can have an inflammatory reaction, and then you get this thing called an A1C. Now, hemoglobin A1C is the amount of percentage of sugar that's attached to your red blood cell count, and that's what we're looking for. Above, again, really above 6.5, you're diabetic. Um, and below that, up to 5.7, you're pre-diabetic. And so that's, that's the combination. So you can have somebody that, I eat vegan all the time. And they're extremely inflamed. And um, and you can't approach somebody also and say, hey, you just can't eat, drink soda all day and you just can't eat sugar and you, you have to move around. That, that There's there's more to it. It's, it's more complicated. For most people, it's kind of a mixture of both. You know, you've got um, the person that works out and does nothing that, that sounds like it could be going on. You've got the person that just has a standard American diet and sits on the couch all day. But that's the, the really thing is it's in the middle. Most people are in the middle. Um, so what are we looking at? Well, this is the reason I look at liver numbers. This is the reason I look at fructosamine. What's, what happened in the last six weeks? Um, what happens to your insulin? Is there any type of uh, cortisol reaction that's going high? We have to be looking at all these things. But if your liver is inefficient and what happens, it's inefficient. So if you ever had, um, a bucket and you're filling the bucket with water, so the, 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 the liver can only store so much, um, glucose in the form of glycogen, that it possibly can. But if I have all this water, and I've got this bucket, we'll call the liver the bucket, and I'm just pouring and pouring and pouring, and eventually the bucket's going to be full, right? So it's full of glycogen, but now I have this extra glucose, and I'm pouring it on top of it. It's going to pour over. Well, that's what happens when our blood sugar comes up. The liver is supposed to release this and keep things somewhat stable, but it's it's inflamed. It has too much. And it, what it does, if you have that, it, it overflows. It runs down. So now we have a, an over overflowing um, bucket, so it, it didn't release it out into the system. So you can have a liver that's inefficient or be, this is how that detoxification process and why we use um, detox products in our product. If you go to our website at choosenewleaf.com, there's a store that says, hey, this is like, this is our detox one because that liver gets overloaded and even liver support is one of the other things we do. And so it just releases. Every time you have it, it's releasing. You could be on like no carbohydrates releasing because that bucket is too high or your body's turning something into it. There's other metabolic factors that go into it. So this is a uh, study that came from the United Kingdom Perspective Diabetes Study, and every 1% reduction in A1C levels associated with a 37% decrease in microvascular complications and a 21% reduction in risk of diabetes-related complication to death. So if you have a 6.5, 6.4 on your um, A1C, every 1%, 0.1%, is a big deal for you. In other words, the lower your A1C test, the less chance you'll have the complications from diabetes, such as um, heart attack, stroke, dementia, uh, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, oh, the fun ones that are amputation, kidney disease, your um, eye problems, and uh, for men, erectile dysfunction. It's a big deal. Um, those are one of the first things we're looking at. Low T, guess what? Um, can't make hormones because the hormones are now blocked. The hormone insulin system is blocked. Oh, gee, what could you possibly have? You probably have a blood sugar handling problem. So when you give a low T and you have that, you're going to take that T and you're going to convert it to esterase, or the esterase hormone, or, um, enzyme is going to convert that to estrogen. Now you're going to actually get man boobs. There's actually a term for that. Uh, and now you're going to need the brosure or the man 
um, uh, the bro or the man's ear. Those are the two things. Again, back to Seinfeld. Um, and then you don't want to do anything because you converted your testosterone they just took to estrogen, which unfortunately increases your cardiovascular risk factors. Yikes. So you probably want to get your blood sugar taken care of when you have erectile dysfunction before you go grabbing the, the low T because you need more testosterone. There, there's, there's other, again, factors that go into this. So when somebody takes insulin, let's say even a type 1 diabetic, the number one side effect is you gain weight. Yikes. And as you gain weight, you're going to have worse handling of blood sugar. So in diabetes, you get more weight, then you require more insulin, and then you gain more weight. Can you see how this happens? And not everybody knows, but you should know that type 2 diabetes is actually reversible. And if people lose weight, then diabetes also go away. And a case in point is we have um, patients who have gone and, you know, they, they've gone to bariatric uh, surgeries and they lose a lot of weight. Not, not like 20, like 50, 70, 100 pounds. And then all of a sudden they're off all their medications. So the, the thing is what, what they've learned in a lot of these medications, because of the way it goes to the liver, has to be detoxified. And it's not because the liver is overloaded with blood sugar. Uh, you can't detoxify. Well, they're actually making you gain weight. And when you gain weight, you get more insulin resistance. And then off it goes. So um, th- these are a big deal. And, and type 2 diabetes is a widespread problem. And it happened by our own medical society research and government. And I'm going to give you some some things that happen here. So our consumption of processed refined foods, grains, vegetables dramatically increased over this time, mainly in the mid-90s, back to the what we call the Seinfeld. I'm calling it the Seinfeld effect. That, that's me today that I'm calling it that. So again, our government decided it was a good idea to take fat out of the food and what they replace them with sugar um high calorie processed high fructose corn syrup refined foods by the way these don't do really well with anybody's genetics so you really need whole foods healthy fats high quality proteins fiber rich carbohydrates so the national national the national guidelines of nutrition began in 1961 and the american heart association was really the first organization and it told the world that we really got to cut back on saturated fat and cholesterol. And they are still pounding that drum today, even though every single research thing that's gone out there said this is not successful. Or the people have familiar type hypercholesterolemia and their cholesterol is like four and 500. That's what the Lipitor and the statins work for. They really do. And there is like some sets of genetics that go along with it, but you really got to have it. And it's like the, the number is like 1% lots of research for the 1%. Okay, well, what about the rest of us? So we were told by the American Heart Association to cut back on saturated fat and cholesterol, meaning cut back on your animal fats in order to protect yourself against heart disease. Um, the U.S. government got involved in 1980, and that's when they launched the U.S. Dietary Guidelines. They're currently sponsored by the USDA, uh, HSA, HHS, and uh, which are the two government agencies that are running our health. They pretty much adopted uh, word for word what the American Heart Association was saying. Uh, and by the way, th- I have this six-part series on cardiovascular health and really what it came down to, the fats. They injected fats into um, a vegetarian-based animal called a rabbit. And these poor rabbits were given animal fat, and their arteries got thick and they died. It killed the rabbits. But they don't have the enzymes to break those things down like we do. So it was not very good science. Again, 1960 science is a little bit different than 2020 science. 
there's 60 years of research that goes in there and 60 years of different testing that you can do. Okay. So again, cut down your dietary fat, get rid of the animal fat. Uh, don't you dare have an egg yolk. You better not have shellfish. Um, th that's the thinking for 1980. So the food pyramid, which is still the, still the same today, the bottom slat is know your grains and breads. So at that point, now it's down to seven, um, but it was 11 servings of bread a day. Now, what is bread? Hmm, what does it break down to? It's a carbohydrate. What is diabetes? It's a blood sugar problem. What is carbohydrate defined as? A sugar. So yeah, go ahead and eat 11 servings of sugar a day and see what happens to your sugar disease. Now, uh, occasionally I go up to Oklahoma and they, they call it something different. They call it sugar diabetes, but they're not wrong. <laughs> They're right. It is. Uh, so instead of just calling carbohydrates or this and that, sugar, diabetes. Well, that's right. So now that your caloric intake is 50 to 60% sugar, um, and this is in the 80s. In 1965, the average American ate 39% calories from carbohydrates. Well, this is a huge increase. So the dietary guidelines happen, and just like that, you, we can watch. The actual CDC has these slides on here called the obesity epidemic. Epidemic. Why don't we call it the pandemic? Because everybody else is getting fat too. So um, you can see how many different states all of a sudden it's like, okay, everybody's not just obese, morbidly obese, and then they have to change their guidelines for that, and they have to change the guidelines for that. Can you see how the guidelines for cholesterol and when we give medication and the rates of anxiety and depression have all changed because of this epidemic? It's there. So reducing fat and replacing it with something called carbohydrates, which is the number one thing that they do in the food industry, is a great way to have insulin-resistant diabetes. Stay fat, stay tired, and and be tired, uh, and be just and, and have Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, heart attack, stroke, cancers. So the National Institute of Health funded billions of dollars, billions. These are taxpayer dollars you paid for. You paid for this to inform me about the nutrition policy, about what to eat, and they're not there. They just took the money and pocketed it. It's not out there. Everybody else did research instead. Um, so that's really what it is. Our, our, unfortunately, again, in case you haven't learned over the last two years, our government is not interested in making us healthy. They're interested in helping us to become worker bees and doing what we need to do for them. It's up to you to decide what you need to do. And uh, what's recommended for the government is to help people get sick and fat. For instance, all you have to do is look at school lunches. What's in a school lunch? What do you get when you go to a hospital? They're telling you that you're feeding you for your brain to learn in school or that you're feeding you for your health. But you know that most of the time in these, you know, whether it's a hospital or a lunch meal or a nursing home, it's bread, it's soybean oil, and it's sugar or high fructose corn syrup. If you are familiar with women, infant, and child, which is called WIC, what are the foods that they get for that? Uh, what do they get at the food kitchens? What does the military get? There's a huge obesity problem in the military. What they get is based on these 1960 guidelines, which is junk food. They don't have animal proteins in them. They're mostly processed. They're, they're to make you sick and fat. What's the point of this? I, I don't understand. So according to a diabetes report, and this is um, from the chart we're looking at the CDC from 1994 to even 2018 is when the last time they gave their obesity report. And they, um, the, this doctor, William Raleigh, predicts that the cost of diabetes will rise to 57% by the year 2030. The economy will be cost $622 billion for this. Clearly, there's something wrong than how we lived 100 years ago.
And from a diet and lifestyle and nutritional standpoint, we see that everybody with coronary artery disease, and this is why we run a coronary artery score from a survey that's coming in right now that's over the age of 40, is we're looking to see the amount of insulin resistance that's going on because the um, elevated blood sugar is toxic to the blood vessels. It damages the blood vessels, leads to blood vessel dysfunction, which eventually to coronary artery disease. And along the way, some sort of insulin resistance happens. And, and this is why in, in our what we call just our standard panel, we're running like what we call homocysteine. Uh, we're running inflammatory markers such as insulin um, and uh, C-reactive protein. And then if somebody has any history or something that just doesn't make sense, we run a, there's a Cleveland Heart Clinic protocol. There's a Berkeley Heart Test testing that we get more markers that are a little bit beyond and better than just the standard LDL and HDL numbers. Um, and, and what we're looking for is oxidative stress. Do they have myeloperoxidase? Do they have lipid LDL oxidation? There's actually a test for that because you can have abnormal levels of LDL, which means you have inflammation, but it has it gone and oxidized the inside of your arteries. That's a big deal to know. You know me, cardiologists have, well, you don't, but I'm, I'm telling you, we, we get a, a cardiologist or two Every single year, and they're like, what, what test is this? Because they're not informed. They're, they're only informed to look at the LDL, look at the patient, give the med, go on. And now that they're seeing that, hey, there's these other tests, and they're, they're more predictive and more um, important than just running an LDL, they're, they're listening. And kudos to them. I high-five them. I, I'll, I'll write them, call them up very quick and say, you know, more than happy to help you um, handle this or, or be able to, to deal with this because you're going to help your patients better. So what we the big picture is we have to be very proactive when we get insulin resistance because it's going to, it's it's our best to prevent coronary artery disease and when we see an, an elevated again an elevated insulin is going to lead to that so we better know what we're dealing with and what time do we have I know you have a lot of podcasts to listen to and this is just one of a few um, that I'm going to do on diabetes and what we're going to do uh, in the next module more we'll call it module next podcast um, I'm going to help you a little more and understand what the really research to go in and what food control to control blood sugar and support your health uh, great health does not have to be a mission impossible if you like it like it share it share it. if you want to know more about our office go to our website at choosenewlife.com on there we have blood sugar support we have liver support we have detox those are the the big things to go with we have uh, essential fatty acids which i went through in the cardiovascular course for that uh, these are big deals uh, to get up there and then we have a gi immune balance which is really your short-chain fatty acids that's your fiber and that helps with blood sugar and cardiovascular health as well uh, and then if the the blood supply is not there we use memory support because it's opening the blood supply to get there so all these things can be used uh, they're on our shop um, and, and that's kind of your do-it-yourself i'm just giving you that as an option or you can see somebody or come see another come see us in the office and we'll, we'll do what we need to do to help you unwind this um vicious cycle that, that causes eight out of the 10 uh, causes of death in the United States. I'm Dr. Alan Trites. Be well. This podcast, Great Health Does Not Have to Be a Mission Impossible, provides you information about evidence-based strategies for Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, gut health problems, digestion, autoimmune disease, brain health issues, and many other chronic health conditions. If you enjoy this podcast, you can find more information on today's episode, nutrition, Dr. Trite's blog, and many other topics at choosenewleaf.com. There you'll have all the information, and thank you for listening to this podcast. The best thing to do is sign up for his newsletter. 
where he'll update you on the latest research and clinical strategies related to chronic and autoimmune health conditions. You can find Dr. Trite's social media on Instagram and Facebook with the username New Leaf Health. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional health care services, including the giving of medical advice. Note, no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information and materials linked to the podcast is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not delay or disregard obtaining medical advice for any medical conditions they have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.